Good morning. Let's pray. O come, Emmanuel. Thank you. God is with us. God, thank you for Christmas. Illuminate our hearts this morning, we pray. And the church said, One of the focal points of our Christmas celebration is the setting up of our Christmas lights. Now, for many years, what I would like to do, what I would do is I would get some guys from the church together, we'd get in my truck, and we'd drive up into the mountains, and we'd cut down a 20-some-foot tree, and we'd strap it onto the top of my truck, and we'd drive back into the city, and then we would destroy my front door and the threshold, shoving it into the front room and setting it and sweating and laughing, and it was kind of crazy and messy, making a tremendous mess out of the front room. Kirsten loved it. And... We'd get it set up, and then, of course, I would have to light the thing. And I remember the very first year that I did that, I I was thinking, okay, now I've got to light this. And so I went and I got several spools of Christmas lights, and I got out the 20-foot ladder, and I set it up, and I put that spool on a stick, and I climbed up the ladder, and I started wrapping that thing with lights. And then I got all the way down to the bottom. I was ready to plug it in, and I realized I've strung this whole tree backwards. (laughs) And now I've got to do it all over again. A lot of fun. Well, now that we have babies, I've conceded to the fake Christmas tree plan. (laughs) And there was much rejoicing. (laughs) I don't know about you, maybe it's just me. Has anyone ever tried to interpret a manual that was written somewhere in the world where English is not a spoken language? The purple thing is supposed to connect to the orange thing, but there's nothing in here that's orange. So how about I just start trying to put things together, and if it looks good and it all lights, I'll call it done, right? It's crazy. But um, this is, you know, sometimes getting ready for the holiday makes me feel a lot less like um, George Bailey and a lot more like Clark Griswold. Can you feel me? Yeah. 150 million strings of light are sold every year. Lights are kind of a big deal at Christmas, and they got me thinking about light. So let's look at a dramatic display of the light of Christmas in the Bible. This story takes place in the Gospel of John chapter 8. You can read this later. The nativity is now many years past. Jesus is a grown man. It's The fall season, it's approximately 30 AD, and for three years, Jesus has been shaking up the world with his words and his miracles, and now it's time for a Jewish holy celebration called Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, and God mandates that all Hebrew men be in attendance. God commands you to party, and you thought God was boring. Ain't no party like a tabernacle party because a tabernacle party don't stop. It goes for an, an entire week. 
You shall live in booths seven days. All citizens in Israel shall live in booths in order that future generations may know that I made the Israelite people live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And this is an incredibly significant week of remembrance. Basically, what you have here is a week-long version of a mashup of Thanksgiving and the 4th of July and Memorial Day and church services all rolled up into a big camping trip complete with tents. And they were to remember and to celebrate and to reenact the dwellings that the Israelites lived in for 40 years while they lived in the desert after the exodus when God delivered them out of Egypt. Thousands and thousands of people would make a pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. There were sacrifices and celebrations and music and worship services and Bible readings all week long, and it imprinted on their hearts how God had delivered them from slavery to freedom, how God had miraculously provided them with food and water, and how for 40 years, God himself led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. And with that blazing light in mind, towards the end of the week, the priests would light these huge menorahs in the court of the women. Now, to give you an idea of how big these menorahs were, I want you to envision that Calvary Christian Center sign that we have out on the front of the property next to the highway. At night, it lights up, and you can see it out on the highway glowing from a distance. That sign out there is 19 feet tall. The menorah that they light are higher than 80 feet tall. Okay, so take one of those, stack four of them, one on top of the other, and you're still shorter than just one of those. They would put one in each corner of the courts to symbolize the four corners of the earth, the whole world, north, south, east, and west. Size-wise, uh, these are more like the Christmas tree in, in New York City in the Rockefeller Plaza, but on fire, and four of them. And ancient historians remark that the light of their torches would fill the city at night. And the scroll of Zechariah's prophecies would be taken out, and a portion would be read from chapter 14, where the Messiah shows up, and he stands on the Mount of Olives, which then splits in two, bringing fresh water in to the Dead Sea, and with it, life. And Zechariah goes on in his prophetic vision, describing a period of messianic rule over the entire world. And at that time, all the nations would send delegations to Jerusalem each year to participate in what? The Feast of Tabernacles, what they're doing right there at that moment to worship the Messiah. Quote, And there shall be one day which shall be known as the Lord's, not day and not night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time there shall be light. And everyone is listening with excitement. Everyone is anticipating the Messiah. Everyone who is listening is imagining in their minds the fulfillment of this prophecy, imagining thousands of more people from all over the world thronging to Jerusalem, coming to worship the promised Messiah, who will free Israel again, who will subjugate Rome and rule the world from his throne in Jerusalem. And right on cue, the priests begin to light these massive flaming menorahs, and everyone is ooing and aahing like we do at the fireworks show on the 4th of July. But before the band can strike up Hava Nagila, 
Jesus stands up and he makes a proclamation. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus is basically standing up in the middle of this holy moment of a sacred event and proclaiming himself as divinity. It's an act so bold. He's so strident, so absolutely unmistakably clear what Jesus is saying in this passage that a few verses later, John remarks his surprise that Jesus wasn't arrested on the spot. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the fulfillment of Zechariah's vision. I am the pillar of fire leading God's people to freedom. I am the I am. And you have two choices, me or eternal darkness. There is no third option. And you can imagine how the religious leaders respond as Jesus interrupts their highly scheduled rituals. And if there's anyone capable of completely missing the point and majoring in minors, it's religious people. It's like that saying, the lights are on, but nobody's home. John recorded that as Jesus spoke these things, many believed in him. The Bible says common people heard Jesus gladly. In one instance, it's recorded that Roman soldiers disobey a direct order to arrest Jesus. And when they're being dressed down by their commanding officer, their response is, no one ever spoke like this man. Pilate, the Roman official who condemned Jesus to be crucified, said of him, I find no fault in this man. Who else but religious people could watch Jesus do miracles, hear him teach, and still resist and argue and debate and complain? Religious people are like a bratty 15-year-old playing word games with mom and dad. You know what I mean? Completely self-absorbed, arrogant, cold-hearted, rebellious, annoying beyond all patience. Sorry if you're here and you're 15, whatever. Just take it in stride. And did you ever have a conversation with someone that just wanted to play word games with you and debate some insignificant detail? Ugh, it drives me crazy. And religious people drive Jesus crazy too. And that's why his most fearsome curses were directed at the religious. The philosopher Plato said, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Religious people, they feel threatened by Jesus because Jesus changes everything. His light is painful to those who have become comfortable in the dark. And Jesus responds by completely placing his authority and power in his relationship with God. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I say these things. He who sent me is with me. The Father hasn't left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is saying, you are lost in the dark. And if you want out, we don't have time for word games. You've seen my life. You've witnessed my miracles. You have heard my teachings. I do everything the Father commands. I say everything he tells me to say. I am the Son of God. And as his son, and because of my total submission to him, I have the authority to tell you, you will die in your sins unless you believe in me. 
I am the light of the world. In order to more fully appreciate what Jesus is saying here, let's ask, what is light? And what does light do? Science tells us that light is electromagnetic radiation, some of which is visible to the naked eye. Light brings life to everything that it touches. Light, life. No light, death. Think about it. If the sun went out today, in a matter of minutes, every living thing on earth would die, and this beautiful planet would become nothing less than a giant snowball lost in space. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light is a mystery because it's the only thing in the universe with a dual nature. And by that I mean life is both a wave and a photon at the same time. It seems to be a contradiction, like me saying, I'm here in Yuba City and I'm in New York City at the same time. It shouldn't be possible, and yet it is. Jesus is a mystery because he has a dual nature. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is Jesus a man? Yes. Is Jesus fully God and fully man at the same time? Yes. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Nothing comes close to the speed of light, which has become the measuring stick of our universe. Everything, all those vast distances in space are measured by how fast it would take light to get there. Why? Because light is always consistent, and so is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus lived the only perfect life. He was always consistent, always saying the right thing at the right time, in the right way, always doing the right thing at the right time, always pleasing God. Jesus' life will be the measuring stick against which every other life will be measured. Jesus is the true constant. He is like the North Star that will guide us safely home. Light also has healing properties. People who live in parts of the world where there's not a lot of sunlight get afflicted with something called SAD. Seasonal affective disorder. There are certain vitamins that are only produced when our skin is exposed to sunlight. And cells that make up our body have been proven to respond and react to light. The frequencies produced by an LED board or by a fine point laser light stimulate our cells' metabolism. Photons enter the cell membrane and they begin to change the polarity of that cell. It promotes the repolarization of sick or injured cells back to the normal state. It sounds like a, a complex idea here, but basically the idea is that lights regenerate the cells of our body. Over and over, it's recorded that with his touch or with his words, Jesus demonstrated his power to reverse sickness and disease and even death. And some were healed just by reaching out and touching Jesus. 
In Malachi, it says, for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Light illuminates, and it shows us things as they really are. Ever had someone point out to you, maybe when you showed up at school or somewhere, that you had two different color socks on? or that you'd put on your t-shirt inside out. And typically what they would do is walk up to you and say, hey, did you get dressed in the dark this morning? Okay, that just happened to me, apparently. All right. (laughs) Jesus said, the reason that I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. With certain frequencies of light, doctors can find tumors and cancer. Now, you might say, well, that doesn't sound like a very positive thing, but often the truth makes us miserable before it sets us free. How many, anyone here ever hear of someone, know someone that discovered that they had a tumor or had a cancer, and the doctor told them, I'm glad we caught it early because now we can treat it. Anyone here have that? Yes, several of you. The light of truth shows us the ugliness within. It shows us that we are liars and that we're prideful and that we're rebellious and unworthy sinners. Jesus was choosing some men to follow him and some that he chose were hardworking, leather-skinned fishermen and it was the end of a long, unproductive, frustrating day and they hadn't caught anything and so Jesus tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat And these guys are figuring, well, let's humor him so he will leave us alone. And they do it. And they catch so many fish that the nets begin to break. And they have to call in other boats to help them with the catch. But Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell down at his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. And in those moments when we are honest, like Peter, we realize that we are hopelessly inadequate to be with Jesus. His light exposes our sinfulness. And that's why a lot of people stay away from church, because the presence of Jesus makes us uncomfortable in our sin. It shines into those areas of our hearts that resist the challenges and the changes that Jesus demands. The good news is that if we catch the cancer early, we can treat it. We can cut it out. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son to the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not judged. He who doesn't believe is already judged because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world And men love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his works may be revealed that they were done in God. It's no coincidence that after Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world, the very next miracle that he performs is giving sight to a blind man. Now, in this instance, 
The man was born blind. There were no eyeballs in his head, just two empty sockets where the eyes would be. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born like this? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be done in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because the night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he makes two mud balls with his spit, and he shoves them into those empty sockets in that man's head. And when he washes the mud away, boom, two perfect eyeballs are looking out at him. Chew on that one, Chris Angel, mind freak. Right? The lights came on for this man who had never seen color, never seen the faces of his own family. And what is the first thing his eyes behold? Jesus, the light of the world. When his light enters our lives, everything changes. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And when we think about the light of Christmas, we remember the star of Bethlehem. The first words recorded that God spoke were, let there be light. And God began the celebration of creation speaking those words, let there be light, setting off a fireworks display of unimaginable power. God marks the first day of his genius with light, and he hung his nuclear-powered lights in the night sky. And he was so excited that with each new development, he kept saying, ooh, that's good, oh, that is good, oh, myself, that is very, very good. God was as excited as as Clark Griswold when he finally got those Christmas lights on his house to light up. But even before that first star was hung in space, God had already planned Christmas. The Bible calls Jesus the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And when God set the whole universe in motion, he had already established a plan for which one of those heavenly bodies would be in motion over a world lost in darkness to capture the attention of the Magi calculated to the very moment. And with that star, God is saying to us, look up, look up, look up from your busyness, look up from your darkness. I'm shining a light on you. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you remember when those Chilean miners were trapped several years back? It was August the 5th, 2010. It was a gold and copper mine near the northern city of Copiapo, Chile. 
and it caved in. It trapped 33 miners in a chamber half a mile under the surface of the earth. And for 17 days, there was no word on their fate. And as each day passed, everyone doubted that there could be any survivors. But when a camera and a light reached that miner's refuge, the whole world rejoiced to discover that all 33 miners were still alive, trapped in the dark. After 69 days trapped deep underground, all 33 of those men were brought to the surface. You might remember watching that on the news. It was a winching project that ran 24 hours until all of them were brought up. I want you to imagine for a moment living trapped in the dark for two months. We have all been sealed in darkness beyond our power to escape, just like the Chilean miners. And the star of Bethlehem is God shining his light on us, saying, I see you. I know what happened to you. I know that you're trapped in the darkness and you're afraid. I'm coming for you. I have a plan to rescue you from the dark. I'm here to get you. I've missed you. And from the moment those men were lost, their families were heartbroken. The world was heartbroken. And that's how God's heart has been breaking for us from the moment that we were lost in the dark. His desire has been to find us and to rescue us. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. God takes a part of his universe like a spotlight and he moves it over to where Jesus is to say, X marks the spot. I want you to look up and follow the light so that when you look down into the manger and you see, now that I've come, you can see things as they really are, as I see them. And here in a humble feeding trough lay tangible proof that God has not abandoned you. As a grown man, Jesus demands your trust, but first, here as a baby. Jesus shows us that he's willing to risk trusting us. This is the light of Christmas, that God has made the first move. He invites you to bask in his light, to embrace his light, to hold it close to your heart. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God uses the light to draw outsiders, the wise men. The heavens declare the glory of God. The expanse shows his handiwork. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice has gone out through all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Man has always looked up at the night sky with awe. The vastness, the beauty, the order of the heavenly dance. 
mapping the movements of stars and planets and drawing meaning from the constellations. The amalgamation of astronomy and astrology was a part of the wisdom of these magi, these wise men who have a role to play in the Christmas story. Just a little background on these guys. About 600 years before that first Christmas, Daniel, that Jewish prophet, was made the head of all the magi in Persia. And the influence of that one godly man ripples through 600 years to influence a group of pagan astrologers. And these men had spent untold hours studying the night sky, making maps. They had studied ancient wisdom. And in their day, the library in Alexandria was not burned down. There is no telling what knowledge was lost in that fire. These men were brilliant. They were wealthy, but they were pagans outsiders. And yet God spoke to them, once again bypassing the inner circle of the super-religious people with the Bibles and the big fancy church. These men were looking up and searching, and God drew them a map that they would understand. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. They brought gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And if you read about the worship of the ancient pagan sky gods like Apollo, you will understand that these men knew they were coming to worship a god king. Jesus' disciples sometimes doubted, but the pagans, no, they didn't doubt for a second. And if you think about it, the people in the nativity, besides Joseph and Mary, these people are there because they were looking up when the rest of the world had closed their eyes and gone to sleep. The shepherds were looking up. They were keeping watch at night, and they saw the angels fill the sky. The wise men were looking up, and they saw a star. These were the things that were seen in the dark while everyone else was asleep. The wealthy and the politicians and the religious leaders and the who's who in Israel, they had given themselves over to the night. But these men, foreigners, poor shepherds, were looking up, and they saw the light. They saw God's message. I'm here to rescue you. I was having a conversation with Reverend Del Smith before uh, one of our choir practices, getting ready for Finding Christmas. And Del was telling me how he and his wife had recently enjoyed sitting out and watching a meteor shower. And it occurred to me that one of the reasons that they have such a great view of the night sky is because they live outside of the city. And they don't deal with what's called light pollution like we do who live here in Yuba City. Now, if you've not heard of the term light pollution, basically the idea is that since the Industrial Revolution, we have all this electric artificial light. When we gather together in cities, all the artificial light in our homes and businesses and buildings and the street lamps kind of creates this diffusion or a delusion of natural light so that we don't see the night sky with clarity like people do who live outside of the city. For example, right in front of my house and right behind my house are two really bright street lamps. Have you ever been in some remote place somewhere at night and you looked up at the sky and you were blown away at how bright and clear and crisp everything was? It was as if you could reach up and touch the stars. Artificial light creates pollution, and the result is that we don't see the heavenly light as clearly Astronomers studying the night sky will go off to some remote place so that they can get a high-definition view of the heavens. And if you're having a hard time finding the joy and the truth and the light of Christmas, 
can I suggest that we get away from the artificial lights? What are artificial lights that dilute our ability to see the true light of Christmas? Well, right off the bat, I would say commercialization and materialism that surrounds Christmas. Have you somehow allowed the holiness and the humility of the birth of Jesus to be drowned by empty greed? Or maybe you're unable to experience the joy of Christmas unless all your shopping is done and your house, all the decoration are up and your house is clean and all of your family gets along this Christmas. (laughs) Are you flooding your spare time following the artificial stars on Twitter and TMZ and magazines and you know what designers they wore and what they ate and who they just broke up with? Look, let's shut off the artificial stars so that we can clearly see the bright and morning star, Jesus Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your face to the light of Jesus and the shadows will fall behind you Things take their proper perspective in my life when I stay focused on Jesus. That day, standing at the temple under the blaze of those giant menorahs, Jesus said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. Jesus says, I want you to take ownership of this relationship with me. To follow Jesus is to have the light. When we follow Jesus, we leave the place where we are and all the other possible places that we might go. Jesus invites us to follow him, to be where he is, to share in his presence, to learn from him, and to live in his light. Jesus is offering nothing less than himself to us. It's what he's been doing ever since the very first Christmas. It's what he was doing for us on the cross And it's what he's offering to you right now. Follow me. Have fellowship with me. I showed you what a life devoted to God looks like. I told you the truth. You can have the light, but only if you follow me. Following Jesus, we become carriers of his light. Because we carry the light of Christmas in our hearts, we see every person as desirable and valuable to God. We must carry the light into the darkness. That's what we were created to do. And we can't fail. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a measuring basket. No, you put it on a stand and it shines to everyone in the house. Even so, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And as we carry the light of Jesus into our world, it will draw people to him, to his love, and to his truth, because he is irresistible. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Bethlehem star no longer points the way to Jesus. Now God is using each one of us to display his light, to draw others to himself, 
And this Christmas, Jesus is saying, carry my light to those who are still lost in the darkness. Let's pray. This morning, as I was talking about those Chilean miners who were trapped in the dark, you were thinking, that's that's exactly how I feel right now. Today in your heart, you can look up and see that God has been searching for you. He loves you desperately. He wants to rescue you from that darkness. Reach out towards the light of Jesus this morning. If you would like prayer, Just raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you this morning to find the light of Jesus. He's drawing you. Reach to him this morning. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, but if you would like to have prayer this morning, just slip up your hand. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you've been following Jesus, but your light has grown dim. You've allowed too much artificial light in your life and you need God's help to turn it off to make some changes so that the light of Jesus can again be magnified and shine brightly in your life the way that it used to if you would like that to happen for you would you just slip up your hand this morning I want to pray with you that God would shine his light in your heart again this morning Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for shining your light of truth on us. Jesus, our hearts are open before you. We are completely transparent in the light of your truth. Shine on us. Shine brightly in our hearts, Lord. Let all of those artificial things, God, that we get so wrapped up in begin to fade. Help us to focus upon you, Jesus. Let your light shine in us so that everyone who walks in darkness around us in this community, Lord, will see your light, will be changed by your light the way that we have been. Thank you, Lord. In the name of your strong son, Jesus, we pray. And everyone said,